Hello, and welcome to Music Talks, discussions on music education, the podcast made by future music educators for future music educators. If this is your first time here, welcome, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Megan Wright, and I serve as the current advocacy chair for the Florida National Association for Music Education Collegiate Advocacy Committee, which this podcast is an extension of. During each of our episodes, we talk about various topics and perspectives in music education and discuss how we as collegiates can approach them currently during our time as collegiates and in our future music classrooms. Today, we will be discussing the internship and the interview process. These milestones await all of us at the end of our collegiate careers. The Florida NAFME Collegiate Advocacy Committee created this episode in hopes that it will serve as a resource for all of us heading forward into the transition between collegiate preparation and workforce reality. First, we will discuss the internship. We sent out a Google form to our membership that recently completed their student teaching, asking about their experiences and what advice they had to share with those of us approaching our time as interns. Their feedback and perspectives were all hugely helpful, and we thank everyone that took the time to participate in that survey. We will then finish up this episode with an interview with Mr. Joel Kina, former band director and current assistant principal at J.W. Mitchell High School in Hillsborough County. Mr. Kina and I will discuss every step of the interview process from initial research, interview prep, the actual interview, and follow-up. We hope this episode is a helpful resource for you, regardless of where you are in your music education journey. Looming ahead of all of us at the end of our collegiate experience is the internship. Whether you are excited, nervous, terrified, or anything in between, the internship is one of the most valuable experiences we have as collegiates before joining the field as in-service teachers. The good thing is, you are never alone. Countless collegiates have taken on the ups and downs of the internship before you, and today we are going to share some recent interns' best advice and tips on how to not only survive, but get the most out of the internship experience. I first want to start off by thanking everyone that contributed to this segment with your wise words of advice. The music community is a small one, and it's important that we continue to look out for each other in this way, especially with all the turmoil in the world of education these days. In the Google form sent out to recent interns, they were asked various questions about the good sides and the bad sides of their internship. Let's look first at the good parts of their internship. Recent interns shared high points like finally putting into place the knowledge gained during their college curriculum with actual students as one of the main positives they experienced during student teaching. They loved getting to know the students and practicing forming professional relationships with them. Many also felt they formed a strong relationship with their interning or mentor teacher that will stick with them for the rest of their career. Overall, the connections formed between interns and students and interns and supervising teachers were the most heavily cited positives, which makes sense, especially after we all struggled through the brutalities and separation of online school. Now, more than ever, I believe we have learned to appreciate the value of forming those relationships with the people around us. As much as there are positives during the internship, there are also inevitable negatives we all have to face and subsequently learn to overcome during our student teaching. Many of the struggles focused around transitioning away from college life and into the real world. Aspects of teaching at a public school like the commute, the teaching schedule, and the time management of juggling all these responsibilities was one of the more difficult hurdles for our recent interns. 
Interestingly enough, there was little to no mention of the musical aspects of the internship when asked about the hardships of student teaching. So many of us worry about whether we will remember our trombone slide positions or how to read alto clef or how to best deal with chaining voices in a choir. Those of us heading out to the internship have spent four plus intense years at wonderful music schools. Our musical chops are likely much better than we think. Our musicality is going to be a pillar we can lean on during our internship to help guide us through the murky waters of classroom management and behavior modification. You are all fabulous musicians. Don't let that worry ever hold you back. Looping back to the time management discussion, when asked about what they wish they would have known before their internship and what advice they received, many recent interns brought up the issue of time management. Teaching full-time is a whole different beast from being a college student. Both are, yes, very busy, but teaching is a whole other thing than what we have experienced during our time at university. Many recent interns advise that you don't kill yourself lesson planning. Yes, it's very important to be prepared, but if you spend all day teaching and all night lesson planning for the next day, you are creating a very unsustainable lifestyle and will burn out before your internship even ends. You need to strike a balance with your internship, just like you probably had to do when you started college. Plan time to lesson plan and time to just relax. Make time every day to do something on your own that isn't about teaching, whether that's hand-making a tasty dinner, reading a book, binging your favorite show, or hitting the gym. To be a good teacher, you have to be a good person first, so take care of your responsibilities to yourself as a human, as well as those you have to your students. Another common theme among the advice given was to be your authentic self with your students. Though your interning teacher is going to be a fantastic teacher and individual, your goal should not be to be just like them. Instead, it should be to come into your own as a teacher and start becoming the teacher you're going to be. That teacher won't be the same as your professors or your middle or high school directors or even your supervising teacher. It needs to be authentic to who you are. If not, your students will be able to tell. Students can always smell a faker, and you will never be able to teach as effectively if you are trying to be someone you're not while doing it. Just be you, and the rest will take care of itself. Lots of other great advice was given to us for this segment, including don't sweat the small stuff and always try to do your best. Trust your teaching skills. Prepare what you need to, but remember that it's just as important to live your life outside of teaching as well. Nothing is going to go exactly how you planned, so it's important to think on your feet. Think with the end in mind. There is something to be gained from anywhere you intern. Don't get stuck thinking you have to intern with a high school because you'll teach high school or only middle school for the same reason. Be a sponge. Really listen and be ready to act at a moment's notice. Seize every opportunity presented to you. Don't be shy or hesitant to jump in, but take advantage of every moment to learn, experiment, and grow. Don't take the things students say or do to you too personally. Be yourself and admit your mistakes. Expect the unexpected. And so many more. If you are someone that is just starting their internship or going out on internship soon, we hope this segment has been helpful. Reach out to your friends and those you know that have been on an internship recently and get their takes on the internship. Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide style. At the end of the day, 
Know that you are prepared, you are worthy, and you are going to learn so much on your internship. The internship isn't about going in and being the world's best teacher to your students. It's about learning how to be a teacher at all. Your job is not to teach the students, but instead to hone your teaching skills so that you can thrive in whatever job you have in the future. So, don't be afraid to make mistakes, put yourself out there, and try something new. Your interning teacher won't let you fail. You've got this. Now that we have the internship covered, next comes the always exciting process of finding that perfect job for you. And along with getting that job, always comes the interview. I had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. Joel Kena, former band director and current assistant principal at J.W. Mitchell High School, about the interviewing process and what we as collegiates need to know before jumping into the belly of the beast. Thank you so much for meeting with me today. Um, it means a lot to us um, as collegiates to to hear from someone that's you know been in our position before and is out there doing the thing. If you don't mind, just take a second, introduce yourself, tell me about the position you're in now and kind of the journey you've taken to, to get to where you're at. Sure, so right now I am an assistant principal at a big high school in West Florida. Um, we have a little over 2000 students um, and we have a very vibrant arts program, including a huge music program that we're really proud of. Kind of a unique setup because I was actually the band director here for 10 years. And now I actually get to see the fine arts program from an administrative side, because that's one of my responsibilities. Um, I'm actually right now over the senior class and the fine arts department. Um, I also supervise and oversee the math department at this school, which as a musician, you know, is an interesting place to have landed. But I actually really like seeing how fine arts affect the school on the, the whole level after working right in it for a long time kind of unusual path, I guess, but I really still enjoy, um, I get to be involved in music education in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, judging and clinicking and doing stuff like this. So I really, I really like staying in it. And uh, yeah, I think that's close enough. <laughs> yeah. Full story. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. As I told you, um, we're going to talk about interviewing today. So um, what is your role currently with the interview process at your school? And like, what has your experience been like through interviewing? Yeah. So as of the recording of this podcast, we're about two weeks from the beginning of school in my district. So I'm like in the thick of interviewing people um, almost every day. Either me or one of my colleagues is interviewing for, you know, one of our various teaching jobs. And I think that you can learn a lot about what not to do uh, when you're seeing it from this side. But, you know, when you're on the interviewer, when you're when you're the person taking the interview, the interviewee, I guess, um, we, we get caught up and we think we're talking about the right things sometimes. So I think the big thing is to, like, you know, know, know what it is you want to say and try to get there as directly as possible. Sometimes I think people try to, like, wow us with a lot of super flowery language about you know, the, the theory of teaching when in reality, we were looking for people who want to do their best for kids, you know, and um, hopefully have the big picture in mind about how music fits into the school culture overall. Perfect. Great. Um, some more specific um, questions. What are some pre-interview steps that you suggest that interviewees take in terms of research, what they need to bring, what they should wear, the kind of prep things? Yeah, so it's 
you know, the first impression is everything. And even in the days where like a lot of our first round interviews now are on Zoom or through um, recorded interviews, like there's a app out there called Spark Hire that we use in my district where we get this little three, uh, three minute snapshot of a person. So, I mean, presenting a professional image is huge. And we know that across every field, you know, you want to you want to put, put your best foot forward. That doesn't mean wearing a tux to the interview. You know, as musicians, that's the the fanciest thing we own or, or a concert dress or whatever. Um, but you want to look the part for sure, but still come across genuine. You know, there there is sometimes where I've met people and I'm like, well, this is certainly a friend. Like this person is not going to show up to my school looking like this on the daily. But at, on the same token, you know, you don't want to dress down trying to be too cool. So I think there's like a happy medium about how you present yourself. I forget the second part of where we were going with that refresh my memory on the second part. Just what research you suggest we do about the school where we're interviewing and then what to bring, that kind of stuff. So I did like a whole session um, with another school. I won't mention them, but I did a whole session with another school on interviewing and how to prepare for interviews. And the the biggest thing that I think people might overlook or maybe forget is that you want to know about yes, the program that you're interviewing for. So if I'm going to go and interview for a choral job, of course, I want to know about the current state of the chorus program. Can I talk to, you know, the the fine arts director or the uh, supervisor of music in the district and get my bearings? You know, like, what is this program about? What do they value? What are they um, used to doing? What do they aspire to do? And then on the, the next tier of that, is like really understanding the school and the community that you're trying to, to work in, you know? So if my experience is all in one vein of music education and I'm interviewing in a place that's maybe not what I'm used to, like, I'm going to want to go and read up on the demographic information of the school. So like going into some of the portals that exist on the Florida Department of Education website and seeing what I can learn, you know, there's tons of data out there about test scores that is publicly available you can read school improvement plans. You can read all kinds of demographic data about the school itself. Where are they at on things like free and reduced lunch or, you know, the makeup of their student body. And when somebody comes in and they've taken a little bit of time to, to go after that, you know, to show the initiative, I think that says a lot other than coming in and saying like, well, I noticed your school is red. So I wore a red tie, you know, like that's cool, but it doesn't tell me much about your skill set. You know, um, I'm always impressed when people are like, yeah, I noticed that your math scores improved 3% from 2019 to 2020. And um, what a cool thing that your chorus was recognized by uh, at the FMEA, you know, concert, uh, president's concert or something like knowing the detail about what we're talking about, I think is a way to set yourself apart. Certainly, you know, that that's going to raise eyebrows in a great way, I think. So make a great first impression, dress professionally, but not overdressed. And then do your homework, um, not just on the the program that you're, you know, trying to get involved with, but on the school as a whole, because I think musicians, you know, I'm former band director. And I think for 10 straight years, I was like all about these six classes and these 250 kids. And that was like my whole world. But generally, the people doing the hiring have a much broader perspective. And they're thinking about, okay, what can this person bring to the campus? What can they bring to the school as a whole? Awesome. Cool. Do you think it's worthwhile to bring paper copies of a resume or since most things are electronic now, do you think that's not necessary? So at least in my district right now, we're not even doing in-person interviews right now. Like we're hiring people off of second and third round Zoom interviews every day. It never hurts to be prepared, right? So in some districts, the person that's doing the interview sets it up 
And if they're on top of it, maybe they're printing the resumes. But, you know, for some of those more, those loftier jobs, you, you might be interviewing for a panel of like, you know, we were interviewing band directors last year, we're interviewing for a panel of six people, you know, so it's not the worst idea to come in prepared. The worst thing is you overprinted five resumes and, you know, you're out $5 or whatever. But I don't see that as a negative thing. I would never walk in and have somebody hand me a resume and like roll my eyes, you know. Um, yeah. So I know that's an old school approach for sure. But um, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's not going to hurt because what if they were in a rush preparing and everybody ran into the room and the, the secretary didn't print enough for everybody? It would be cool. Like while I'm hearing somebody give their answers about whatever the topic is at hand that, you know, I'm perusing their, their experiences and maybe, maybe I pick up on something that's going to kind of lead my next line of questioning or whatever I want to learn about that person. Great. Yeah. While we're talking about panels and that kind of thing, in a in a typical interview, I mean, I know it's different from to county to county, school to school, but who can we typically expect to see in the interview there with us? Yeah, let's kind of run down like the possibilities. The possibilities for sure are always going to include either the building principal or the administrator that supervises that department. So if you're interviewing for an elementary music job, there's usually two administrators, maybe three on that whole campus. So you're going to see one of those two or three people. In some places where there's going to be two rounds of interviews, especially this comes into play for high school jobs, you might see an associate director in the interviews. You might see another member of the PLC. So if you're interviewing for an art position, you might see a PE teacher or a music teacher in there. Of course, there are some places where they choose to involve stakeholders at the very last round, or maybe the first screening round where you know, I've heard of places where they're involving the band booster president or maybe even a couple of student representatives, just depending on, you know, what their value set is in finding someone. I'll tell you, when we interviewed for my job, when, when I left, obviously I was in there because I, I had become the administrator over that department and I was the outgoing band director. We had our associate director in there. We had our supervisor of music, who I hadn't mentioned until just now. And then in the third round, we had our principal in there as well. So there's also sometimes other ways to involve other stakeholders. So in places where they're not comfortable bringing students into the applicants, there may be a set of questions that the students get to submit that the final applicants get to answer and then send back to the students. And I think that's a cool way to go about it because, you know, you're isolating people who are maybe looking for a step up from angering their own students if they don't get the job, but it's something that you could certainly expect and a cool way to make a connection with the kids um, if you get the opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. What are some typical questions that you ask in every interview? Yeah, I mean, we try, I think people get prepared for like the same thing that they wrote on their resume. So, I mean, generally I'm going to try to dig deeper than just say like, oh, where did you go to school? Because clearly I can read that like this person went to FSU. Okay, I check. I get it, you know? So we'll probably ask a little bit more scenario-based questions. Hey, have you ever run into this? Have, how have you dealt with a difficult parent? What is your feeling about choiring show choir? What is your feeling on developing a strings program? What is your thought on, you know, how we should approach our, our ORF group? All those things should come up like, not so much the who are you, but like the what What do you think you could do with this program or uh, what's your philosophy on how we can approach whatever program it is that we're looking at. So I think that's the kind of stuff that people should really like think hard on before they go in is, is like, does this school offer program X and how am I going to speak to that? And 
if I have a vision for this school starting to offer something, how can I relay that in a way that sounds positive and encouraging, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. The only specific question that I know gets asked in a lot of interviews that um, people wanted me to ask about was the, the tell me about yourself question, because there's just, you know, so many ways to answer that. So how do you approach that question? What are some, maybe some great answers you've heard that you could kind of mold answers out? Just advice on that kind of tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so it's, it's so easy. It's hard, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> To me, I think that tell me about yourself should be something that relates kind of to your vision for teaching and for music education. So maybe something about what inspired you to become a teacher or why you're so passionate about the things that you're passionate about. Maybe um, something that's going to make you a little bit memorable um, because we're looking for people who stand out to us as being something special that we want to bring to our school. And then also we're looking for people maybe who we think might share some common experiences with our students. So, you know, when we're interviewing people and they say, tell me about yourself and you can say, well, I was in a strings program just like this one growing up and I'm really passionate about teaching orchestra because I had this teacher and, uh, you know, whatever it is that makes you connect to the school, I guess, you know, because you can go for hours about yourself, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. I, do I like hearing about people's hobbies and stuff? Like, yeah, it's real cool, but I want to make sure it's something that feels relevant to why I might want you to be part of the team, to come on board. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Is there, do you think there's like a time limit for your answer on that question? Like less than five minutes? Can it go on for longer? How long until you get bored, basically? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, most interviews have a scheduled time right? They're going to be 20 or 30 minutes. First rounds might be even shorter if they're just kind of like screening rounds, but obviously you just feel the room. You know, if you feel like you're really connecting with somebody on a topic, maybe you talk a little more. If you can kind of think through the things that you know might come up, like the tell me about yourself question, having like a few bullets in your head is good. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, like when you're going through and it's just like this aimless ramble of whatever, I've definitely gotten bored in in the middle of some, and I, I might even uh, attest that that happened to me once today. But you know, when when people start to really go, uh, you know, five minutes feels like an eternity on a Zoom call sometimes. So I think like three minutes is probably good. You know, collect your thoughts, um, mm-hmm. especially on kind of a softball one, and get it, get it out there and let's do it. You know, yeah, keep it concise, as they say. <laughs> So once you're, we're kind of towards the end of the interview, um, I know most interviewers give the interviewee some time to ask questions about the position, about the school, that kind of thing. Um, What are some of the better questions you've heard? What do you like to hear from candidates in that position? So the one thing that I'm always impressed when people ask is they ask specifics about how the program fits into the school. So a great one, if you're interviewing for a high school position, a great line of questioning or type of question is the, what do you view as success? You know, you want to know what that admin feels like a successful quote unquote music program looks like, you know? And I said it in the context of like high school marching band, but apply that to anything. What, what does success look like in an elementary general music classroom? Because you can learn a lot from that principal's answer, you know, and that will help you sometimes compare the values of the school because um, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you interview for two high school jobs and you get two offers, 
And one said, I'm really concerned with giving as many, you know, the answer to the, what questions do you have for us? The principal says, I'm really concerned with giving as many kids a quality experience through music debt as, as we can. That's my goal. And then you have another one that says, I want to win every competition we go to. You can, you can draw a stark comparison about where you might be more comfortable and where you might be drawn to. So I don't think we should shy away from questions like that. You know, a lot of times people like almost pass on that opportunity and they go, um, no, I don't really have any questions, you know, and I'm not sure how you could genuinely not have any questions if you're passionate about what you're doing, you know, great, great opportunity to ask, what do you see as areas for growth? You know, what do you see as strengths of the school or the program? What is something you're looking for in a music teacher? And sometimes that opens up like a vein that you forgot about to talk about, you know, because like our heads are buzzing in interviews, right? Yeah. And they and you ask the question, you ask the question to the the interviewer and they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for someone that can relate to, to choral students, beginning choral students. And that sparks you and you go, oh my gosh, I, I would love to mention that when I was going through my music ed degree, I minored in chorus because I felt such a deep connection to the music. And, you know, that sparked a whole nother like, oh, maybe I should consider this person because I didn't know that until until they asked the question. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some other really good things that I've heard recently. I know that there are some you know, people who kind of go into it with their own vision of what the curriculum should be like. So maybe a good question might be about the curriculum or, or what's expected in that context or that district. A good example that I can think of off the top of my head is Quaver. It's like, a, I'm sure most music ed students yeah. are familiar with Quaver, but in some districts, that's like the gold standard and that's what they do. And that's how they structure their curriculum. And some people believe that it's a somewhat useful supplement you know, so I think questions like that are important. Does, does your district use the Quaver platform? How, how long is the other music teacher at the school been there? All of the questions that you were wondering and couldn't find out before the interview, that's like your time right there to kind of learn as much as you can. Because hopefully you find yourself in the position of going, hey, I got an offer. Now, now I need to decide if this is the one that I want to say yes to. Mm-hmm. On saying that about getting the offer, when you're in a position where maybe you've you've interviewed for multiple jobs and there's one that's kind of your it job, but you get an offer from your second choice job first, how do you handle the situation of saying like, I'm still waiting on another thing, hear back from someone else? Uh, How do you suggest handling that? So no no administrator is going to want to feel like the backup plan, right? Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you are waiting on the best job in the whole wide world. The runner-up plan in your mind does not want to know that they're the runner-up. I'm always comfortable when people say to me like, hey, I just need 24 hours to, to talk through this with my family, make sure this is right for us. And I think things like that are acceptable. Let's say you interview for a school and they make you an offer and you haven't even like gotten an interview for your choice school then you have to make the decision of like, okay, do I pass on this? And hopefully my pie in the sky school works out, or do I go for an opportunity in front of me? You know, for new graduates, I have to recommend that you take whatever opportunity comes to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm actually saying this as someone who kind of not shamefully, but I did find myself in that position right away. 
Um, I interviewed for a middle school that I was going to have to do a lot of work in. And I accepted because like, I was just ready to teach and like ready to roll. And I had interviewed for the school that I'm sitting in right now and not heard anything. So I was just like, well, I'm not going to sit around and wait, you know, like I want to teach, I'm ready to rock. So I took that job and um, it was super uncomfortable. You know, I wish I had given myself, if I had asked for 24 hours to think it over, I would not have found myself in that position because they were literally that close together, the offers. So if you've interviewed for two schools in a very close time period, you get an offer from one, you might be able to buy it a little bit of time, but you know, it's a red flag for me if somebody goes, well, I'll let you know, can I let you know in a week? You know, I'm kind of going like, oh, they're not that psyched about this, you know, and, and that's a red flag for me. 24 hours, 48 hours over the week, if it's a Friday and it's like, hey, can I let you know Monday? I just want to make sure, you know, after talking to my family that this is, this is the right thing for me. No one's going to, not many administrators I know would have an issue with that. Okay. Thank you. Um, my last question is what follow-up kind of things do you appreciate from candidates after they've had the interview? Do you feel like it's worthwhile to send a thank you email? Um, Those kind of things, or is that kind of an antiquated practice at this point? So I think, I think people are probably split on that. I think it shows like a level of class that like, Hey, I took the time to follow up and thank the person for taking the time to speak with me because at the very least, let's say you don't get the job, right? and you did send the thank you email, if a friend comes calling, and I mean, administrators are friends and talk, and that happens where it's like, hey, you know, I talked with this one young lady from X school, and she wasn't the right fit for what we needed, but man, was I impressed with her. Let me see if I can find her email real quick. And why not? You know, like, why not put yourself in a position to be remembered a little bit? Mm -hmm. Um, The worst thing that they do is they delete the email. It only took you 35 seconds to write anyway, you know? So, um, I don't think professional communication, you know, the begging for an answer is a no-no. Like, (laughs) I would like to know when we're going to hear an answer. That's not the way to roll. But I would say if you can, yeah, I think if you thank the person for their time, I'm all about it. And I'll relay like a quick story kind of on that note, which is a great friend of mine, a wonderful teacher, basically landed a job that way, you know, just by putting his name out for something that he knew was a long shot and didn't get that job. But then a brand new school opened, was looking for something like right in his wheelhouse. And it just became this game of like, hey, you should really call this guy. Like we talked to him and he was he was fantastic. Just not the skill set for what we were looking for. But there you go. And one simple thought like that between administrators landed this guy a a fantastic job. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Great. Well, that's all the questions that I have written down for you. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to add? Any extra advice that you feel like would be worthwhile for us? Yeah, I mean, I found myself when I was first searching, like in that rut where it was like, oh, man, this is just not going the way I planned. Because like, you know, there are people, some of the people on this listening to this podcast, you're going to interview for three, four, five, a bunch of jobs, you know, and you might be like really ready and really ready to rock. Don't let the process get you down a little bit because unfortunately that's just kind of the way that this rolls. At the very least, maybe you can look at this like one of those situations where you're performing, you know, you're practicing that performance and some people are really natural interviewers and we can get a really good vibe and sense of who they are right away. Some people, it takes them time to get comfortable in the medium. And like, you know, it is hard to, to convey all of your values and strengths in seven, eight, 10 questions. So mm-hmm. I would say that 
don't get discouraged. You know, you've, you've put in most of us when we're taking that interview, we're, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 years into the music ed cycle, you know, you've played all through high school, hopefully, and went to college and did an internship and all those things. So I think keeping the perspective of like, this might take a while and I'm going to practice and get better at it and not being afraid to look back on the process and go, why did I not get this job? Oh, maybe because when they said, where do you see yourself in five years? I said, getting a PhD, of course, which by the way, I know we're at the end. I have to say this. One of the questions that gets asked a lot by like music supervisors and non-musicians, you know, is the, where do you see yourself in five years? And somehow someone's convinced people that it's like going to allow people to say, oh, well, I really want to get my master's in conducting or performance or whatever. Principals do not want to hear that. They want to hear in five years, I'm going to be helping your program reach as many kids as I can and making sure that we're here providing a quality education for your students. I mean, we were interviewing people with like amazing credentials and they would say things like that. And they'd say, oh, I really have my heart set on getting a, a PhD in musicology. And you'd go, that's admirable. But like, you just ended my train of thinking about how you could help our kids because you've put a definitive timestamp on how long you're willing to do a good job with us, you know? Mm-hmm. So sorry to backtrack, but like, I, I just oh, completely forgot about the stupidity that can be the, where do you see yourself in five years question? Yikes. Yep. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Kina. I really appreciate your um, your info and everything. This is very helpful. No problem. That is all we have for today. We hope this episode has been both encouraging and informative for those looking ahead to or currently in the internship and interview process. As much uneasiness as there may be during these times of transition, don't forget to lean on your support system and ask for help when you need it. We here at Florida NAFME Collegiate, as well as your colleagues, professors, former teachers, and many others want to see you succeed. We hope this episode helps you on your way, and please feel free to reach out with anything else we can do to help. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Music Talks. Remember to check out flnafmecollegiate.com for more information on our organization, and we thank you for your support. This is Megan Wright for Music Talks. Until next time! This podcast is recorded by the FL NAFME Collegiate Advocacy Committee and edited by myself. Music for today's episode is Fretless by Kevin MacLeod, and a link can be found in the description.